Welcome back to the Digital Orthopedist Podcast. My name is Dr. Stefan Obini, and I will be your host for this new season, bringing you the best talks from the DocSF 21 experience. After our previous discussions about artificial intelligence and specifically our focus on bias in artificial intelligence, we felt that it would be pretty cool and fitting to discuss how bias impacts our thinking in orthopedics in general, bias in data, but also bias in hiring, bias in salaries, bias in training, conscious and unconscious biases present in orthopedics. This lecture was delivered by Dr. Melissa Zimmel, Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Oncology at UCSF. Let's join her on the DocSF virtual stage. Hi, everyone. My name is Melissa Zimmel, and I'm an orthopedic surgical oncologist at UCSF. You've just heard about bias in the context of data and artificial intelligence. Well, I wanted to talk to you about the intersection of bias and orthopedic surgery. I'm sure we all understand the concept of bias. Bias is defined as prejudice in favor of or against one thing, person, or group compared with another, usually in a way considered to be unfair. I think it's fair to say that we tend to think of bias as a four-letter word for this reason because bias is associated with a lack of fairness or accuracy. Our years of education teach us to avoid perpetuating bias in the science that we learn and conduct. So think back to medical school or even earlier in your education. What types of bias were you taught to understand enough to avoid? I know I can think of many hours spent reviewing articles and looking for common elements of bias. I picked apart medical literature looking for bias in data collection, data analysis, and data interpretation. I was trained to identify these systematic distortions of the relationship between a treatment, risk factor, or exposure, and the ultimate clinical outcome. During this time, I was training my brain to analyze and identify weaknesses in a scientific conclusion and thus recognize the influence of bias. And the skill was essential to determine the value of what I was reading and decide how to apply it to my clinical practice. So after years of training, I became comfortable with identifying scientific bias, discussing it, and developing strategies to avoid it in future studies. I think most of us would agree that discussing bias in a scientific paper is not very emotional or uncomfortable. However, those feelings may change if I shift the talk about bias in orthopedics to discussing the concept of conscious and unconscious bias. Also referred to explicit or implicit bias, these types of biases are critical to understand what contributes to healthcare inequalities and discrimination in our society. Why is implicit bias so destructive? Well, implicit biases undermine healthcare equity, relationships with others, and really often define our perceived role in the community. Biases, however, conscious or unconscious, they're not limited to ethnicity and race. Though racial bias and discrimination are well-documented, biases may exist towards any social group, for example, age, gender, gender identity, physical abilities, religion, sexual orientation, weight, and many other characteristics are commonly subject to bias. Implicit bias feeds social stereotypes about certain groups of people that we form outside of our conscious awareness. So everyone holds unconscious beliefs about various social and identity groups. And these biases really stem from our tendency to organize social worlds in categories. Unconscious bias, however, is far more prevalent than our conscious prejudice and often can even be incompatible with our own conscious values. Certain scenarios we know can activate or are more likely to activate unconscious attitudes and beliefs. For example, biases may be more prevalent when we're multitasking or working under pressure. 
So how does implicit bias intersect with orthopedic surgery and what can we do about it? Can we train our brains to recognize implicit bias and become just as comfortable with identifying, discussing, and developing strategies about it? Well, of course. But like most things in life, mastering this process starts with awareness, education, honesty, and practice. And once we're aware or more aware of our own implicit biases, we're much better adept to deal with their influences on our actions. I wanted to spend a few minutes highlighting an article published in Core by Dr. Humbert from the series Virtual Ethics in a Value-Driven World, Discussing Bias in Orthopedics. Dr. Humbert is both an orthopedic surgeon at Johns Hopkins and an ethicist at their Institute of Bioethics. In September 2016, the New York Times examined how obese patients interact with the healthcare system and suggested that EMR should do away with the attention given to BMI scores since physicians are already acutely aware of a patient's obesity. And because of it, we might not fully consider the causes of the other complaints a patient presents with. And the author of this piece argued that while obesity may sometimes be relevant, it gets an inordinate focus. And the resulting exclusion of other considerations for the reasons for these complaints is just bad medicine. They interviewed Dr. Adolf Yates, an orthopedic professor at the University of Pittsburgh. He described the care of patients with obesity and hip or knee arthritis and suggested that these patients are victims of discrimination. Because, quote, patients who may be at a marginally higher risk for obesity may be treated as a class instead of individuals. And that is the definition of discrimination. We know discrimination is generally the result of bias. And while obesity may be relevant to a patient's care, it is also a diagnosis that carries stigma and bias. And evidence suggests that obese patients receive lower quality care and physicians may treat obesity differently than other medical conditions, perceiving it as a lack of willpower or a patient's fault. Patients with a number of other conditions are susceptible to similar biases, such as people who smoke, abuse opioids, or depressed, or may have uh, workers' compensation status. So how do orthopedic surgeons thread the needle, that is, consider medically relevant information without sliding into biased thinking and even worse, discriminatory behavior. Before we consider how to avoid bias, it's often helpful to think why do we resort to bias as a foundation for our decisions in the first place? Well, we can look to social science experiments that have demonstrated the speed with which people will rapidly begin to discriminate against those outside their group, even when such groups have been formed completely arbitrarily. Evolutionarily, these types of behaviors likely arose from self-preservation, and biases are intrinsic to human nature. In the clinical setting, however, these can be further accentuated by our limited time we have for interacting with patients. This paper describes that when we are time-limited, we generally resort to heuristics. A heuristic is a mental shortcut, which allows us to make rapid decisions without going through an extended thought process. For example, when we see a patient who has tenderness to their fibula after a twisting injury, we get x-rays. We don't necessarily go through and consider the Ottawa ankle rules. Heuristics can create time-saving shortcuts, but they can also lead to cognitive biases and stereotypes resulting in errors in care and a practice that doesn't match the reality of the situation. Let's go back to obese patients. They have a higher risk of superficial wound infection after total joint arthroplasty but the risk remains relatively low. 1.46% rate of infection for patients with a BMI 40 to 45 compared to a 0.77% rate of infection with a normal BMI is a relatively small difference. But it's not uncommon that we could hear a surgeon or think that patients with obesity all get infections. And this kind of stereotyping 
is likely due to the creation of the heuristic where we simplify research comparing groups and we simplify it down to the fact that obesity equates infection. And this is incorrect. And the behavior as a result of it that may influence whether or not we decide to operate on a patient is really unsound. Our impulse to treat patients as a class rather than an individual can actually be even further complicated when our payment models and quality markers create financial incentives to avoid complications or complicated patients like those with obesity. Ultimately, surgeons must work to practice non-judgmental regard, which is a principle of medical ethics and a virtue which should be cultivated. So we must constantly practice avoiding judgment that may devalue or dehumanize a patient, as well as we really should treat patients as individuals rather than a member of a class, such as obese. I think it's fair to assume that we agree with the sentiments expressed in the softly written publication. We recognize discrimination against patients is wrong. A fair follow-up question, though, is how do we begin to recognize our unconscious biases if they're truly unconscious? One such tool is taking an implicit association test. I'm sure many of you are already familiar with this. I've listed the web address in the screenshot. There's many other IETs than those that are listed. If you haven't already taken one, I challenge you to log in. You may be surprised by your results. I know I was, and it may help you begin to understand how society as a whole and the environment in which you were raised may have influenced you over the course of your whole lifetime and formulated some of these biases we may hold about other people or groups. So over time, what have we learned about unconscious bias? So over the last three decades, our understanding of unconscious bias has evolved. The nature of unconscious bias is well understood, and the implicit association test to assess unconscious bias was developed and rigorously tested. We know that these develop at an early age. They emerge during middle childhood, but really develop across child, all of childhood. They have real-world effects on behavior, but they're malleable, and we know we can take steps to minimize the impact of these. A substantial amount of research has been published demonstrating the impact of unconscious bias in various domains. This includes the criminal justice system, education, and healthcare. It can also impact hiring and mentoring and contributes to healthcare disparities. Here's the ugly side of implicit bias that some of us already know about. For example, there was a study where fictitious resumes with white-sounding names were sent to help wanted ads, and they were more likely to receive callbacks for interviews compared to resumes with African-American names. Resumes with white-sounding names received 50% more callbacks for interviews. Science faculty rated male applicants for a laboratory manage, manager position as significantly more competent and hireable than female applicants. Faculty also selected a higher starting salary and offered more career mentoring to the male applicant. Among mentored career K08 or K23 recipients, the mean salary of a female researcher was about $31,000 less than males. We have seen in other studies that implicit bias among healthcare professionals influences their behavior and judgments. And since 1997, well over 30 studies have been published relevant to unconscious bias in clinical decision-making. Racial bias is prevalent among healthcare providers, and it appears that race influences medical decision-making of really all healthcare providers. As orthopedic surgeons, we are problem solvers. We're fixers, we're action-oriented. So how do we move forward and address the effects of implicit bias in our everyday world and our workplace? So by recognizing the power of this subconscious force, we can actually do something about this. So starting with an implicit association test, take all of them, be surprised be honest with yourself. Bias is normal. 
They develop over time. It will take time to learn how to have more control over them. And as we shift our biases from implicit to explicit, we gain even more control. We empower ourselves to be more fair, equitable, and ethical. We will recognize the biases at play all around us. We can even become upstanders for those who are subject to this bias and discrimination, which results in better care for our patients and better health outcomes. Now, if we recognize how bias affects our work environment, especially in things like hiring and everyday interactions, this can lead to improved diversity, equity, and inclusion. So what about the places that we work, the people we work with, including trainees who work alongside us? Implicit bias is often the cause of microaggressions and discrimination that create an unwelcoming work environment and a feeling of otherness. It's a play when we consider who would be a good fit for a residency program or as a new hire. We have to think about these biases at play when we like a person who is similar to ourselves. Think about the people you subconsciously exclude because they may not look like you, come from the same background or have a certain pedigree, practice a similar religion, or agree with your politics. So how diverse is the place where you work? What's the culture like? Is diversity embraced? Is inclusion practiced? Do you hear that someone is not a good fit? And how much does a person's appearance play a role in if they are considered for a job? So we want solutions, right? How do we start to counteract bias in hiring, for example? Well, one suggestion is to blind applications. Studies have shown that blinding of race, gender, pedigree, Letter writers can very much change the way a candidate is evaluated for a job. Another solution is standardizing interview questions. This can eliminate the biases that result from having different conversations with different people that may lead you to like someone or discount another person because you have less in common with them. We all know that how much you have in common with another person really has nothing to do with their qualifications for the job. So whether you're in private practice or an academic setting, consider employing methods to reduce bias in your hiring of staff trainees and faculty. Encourage bias training for everyone. This can improve your workplace culture and listen to the experience of others who may be subject to bias and discrimination for something they have no control over. Learn from others' experiences. Eliminate this concept of fit or likeness. I think lastly, we have to be honest with ourselves. We're all imperfect humans who strive to do better. We are all lifelong learners. Recognizing and understanding the role of implicit bias and explicit bias in our lives as orthopedic surgeon will most certainly improve the lives of our patients, our colleagues, and the environment in which we work. Thank you so much for your time. On behalf of all of us at DocSF, the Digital Orthopedics Conference in San Francisco, thanks for listening and for joining our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review and tell your friends. If you're interested in joining our team, participating, or being interviewed on DocSF, please let us know. If not, please join the revolution and listen up for our next podcast. Thank you.